Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Politican Podcast. Uh, we've had a short break due to Easter, but we're back now and ready to get back into it. Stuart, how's your Easter been? You've been up so much? Uh, uh, probably eating too much chocolate, Ben. That's the trouble with Easter. Um, but an, an, a nice time with the family, so it was, it was very pleasant. Thank you. Yeah, you and me both. I've st- I'm still got a big pile to get through there. So uh, yeah, not complaining enough. Not complaining. It was nice with a cup of tea. Um, so yeah, so so we're back this week, and it all seems to be kicking off in politics again. Um, so there's an investigation into the S and P finances. There's an investigation into Dominic Raab and his bullying. And there's news that Rishi didn't declare that his wife would benefit from some government policies introduced. So I suppose, shall we start with the SNP stuff, Stuart? Um, I mean, I, I can give a brief like summary on this. So, so as you've probably seen, uh, senior SNP officers, including the chief exec, who is Nicola Sturgeon's husband, and the treasurer have been arrested as part of a police inquiry into the SNP's handling of more than £600,000 in, in donations raised. And I think it, they were used to campaign for a second independence referendum, but instead were allegedly used for day-to-day running costs instead. So obviously this is a bit of an ongoing investigation and we can't talk too much about it, but just wanted to look at some points surrounding it, I suppose. So for me, Stuart, like, where, where does this leave the SNP in general, because they seem in chaos at the minute and they've just had a new leader elected in Hamza Youssef. Where does it lead the SNP and where does it lead Hamza Youssef's leadership? Well, I think it's, I mean, it is a massive, potentially seismic shift in politics, but particularly Scottish politics. Um, You know, he is sort of elected as the new leader as a sort of a continuity uh, candidate. They push through a sort of a, a timetable which for the election, which seemed to favour the, you know, that that continuity idea uh, for him to win it, as opposed to the other uh, candidates. And uh, the trouble is, he just can't get going, can he? Because as soon as he tries to announce some new policies, which he did earlier in the week, there's more uh, that comes out about the police investigation, as you say. I mean, there's been, you know, a couple of uh, arrests, no charges, uh, we uh, hasten to add. And obviously with all these things, you have to be incredibly careful because it's an ongoing investigation. So uh, we will be very careful about what we say. But um, but in terms of the, the politics, yeah, you just can't get going. And, you know, for those that had, you know, complete faith for the electorate, that had complete faith in the SNP and the SNP project and independence, well, it starts to put some, some questions. So the opposition parties now feel a little bit, you know, enlivened. This is their big chance to make, inroads back into um, you know winning seats particularly a, a you know a national general election but also a Scottish except Scottish elections maybe the SNP can be knocked off their perch maybe there's the chance you know to push on and, and to win some more seats and you know for Labour particularly at that na- next national general election if I can get my words out uh, winning seats in Scotland is incredibly important because it's not that they can't win a general election, a UK general election without Scottish seats, but it makes it a heck of a lot more difficult for them. So they really need, they really do need seats in in, uh, Scotland. So, you know, for them, you know, this is fantastic news. What it does for politics and people's views of politics more generally, I think, is is a different matter altogether. Yeah, yeah. And we'll come on to that as we kind of carry on in the podcast. But, I mean, looking at, I suppose, internally within the, the... SNP, like, so I think Hamza Youssef was quite closely aligned, wasn't he, to Nicholas Sturgeon? Um, does it throw his kind of, like, leadership up in the air again, then? Is that kind of under threat, would you say, because he was so kind of closely aligned to her? 
Uh, I don't think it does in the short term, uh, but yeah, I mean, if if the trail of breadcrumbs uh, comes too close to him, then then yes, it is possible. Uh, or if the party really does start to tank in the opinion polls, you know, the UK general election or on the run up to a UK general election, then then yes, you know, the party may say, actually, hold on. You know, maybe we shouldn't have gone for a continuity candidate. Maybe we should have a complete, you know, reform and with more transparency, a, a, a different, a different sort of approach altogether. Then it does put his leadership at, you know, at risk. And again, the more he can't seem to get going, the more he can't get any momentum behind his new leadership, the more that that increases. So I, I you know, I don't see that as being an immediate short-term threat. Again, depending on where these investigations go. But uh, but in the medium term, yeah, you know, absolutely. Look, political parties generally, maybe with the exception of the Labour Party, you know, generally political parties are pretty ruthless at getting rid of, of leaders that, you know, don't look like they're going to win elections. And, you know, the SNP will, will, will do so. I have, I have no doubt. Um, you know, there may be some residual, uh, you know, sympathy for the guy, but if it looks like they're going to go really, really badly, and frankly, that fundamentally, well, not fundamentally, but really does undermine the charge towards independence, which is, you know, their fundamental, you know, policy, that's their that's their real driving motivation, then if his leadership isn't going to, is, is undermining that in some way, then he very much is at risk. Yeah, no, fair enough. I could I could see, yeah, some something happening kind of down the line, yeah, and I agree with you on that. I, I mean, for me, Stuart, like... What I find really strange about all this as well is, um, so Nic- Nicola Sturgeon was leader for a number of years, wasn't she, of SNP, but then her husband's been the chief exec, and like it only really seemed to come to light when she stepped down that like there could be a potential issue with, with that relationship in, in, the, in the kind of SNP and stuff. How has that kind of come about, and why is that allowed? Because like, for me, it seems a bit of... There could be a conflict of interest there. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think you know you're, you you raise a really important point, which I think is about you know transparency fundamentally, uh, and and trust that uh, people need in any sort of organisation. The political party is no different from a, a local authority, is different from a, a charity or or even a business. You know, the, the leadership of any organisation um, should act in a transparent way. Um, now the, the the charge being sort of laid against the SNP and 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 Sturgeon was that you know they they actually it was all very secret. People didn't you know you really had to find out what was going on. There's been this stream of resignations from you know senior positions. People complaining about not really knowing what's going on, et cetera, et cetera. Which I think then leans into your you know I think correct analysis that you know even if there is nothing fundamentally wrong with you know having relationships at the top of politics and you know like that and you know there isn't. Um, but you have to have the processes and the transparency and the governance arrangements. That's a bit boring, isn't it? anyway. Governance arrangements in place to make sure that that you know it's absolutely clear that there isn't anything untoward or dodgy or whatever it happens to be going on. Um, so, so if, you know, any organisation needs to follow. I think those you know that fundamental path. Otherwise, questions get raised, don't they? So, um, and I say that I think that's the same for any organisation, really, isn't it? You know, governance, transparency. People have just got to have faith. People have got to, you know, that reputation of the organisation has really got to be there, so that people have some some confidence in it. 
Yeah, 100%. And we were talking off air, Stuart, about this, wasn't we? But, you know, I work for local governments and, like, national, national like, organisations like this, like, it does seem to be a bit of an ongoing uh, topic at the minute. I mean, we're going to talk about the Rishi Sunak stuff in a minute with it, with his wife and not, not declaring some, some interest there and stuff. But I just think, like, local government, I, I see it on a day-to-day basis, they work so hard to make sure, like... The, you know they are transparent with the public. They're accountable. They they pu- try and publish all the information. They respond to FORs really quickly and all that kind of stuff. And it just seems like, compare that to the national stuff, it's worlds apart at the minute. If it feels and and we and I suppose we get all this legislation put on us as well and all these kind of burdens put on us to make sure that we're abiding by the rules. But the people at the top table aren't aren't playing by the the same rules by the by the feel of it at the minute. Well, I think that I think that's a good point, and I think you know people feel that when you know, you know, for anybody's day to day exposure to you know politics, you know, fundamentally, you know, it's local government that you know really impinges on on a lot of what we do, whether it's you know libraries and bins or potholes and you know all these sort of. But the real, the real, you know, things that people encounter in their lives. And then you've got the national politics as well and the economy and defence and, you know, health, etc. Some of those things. Now, some of those areas of policy, it's not very clear to most people who controls what. So local authorities, mayors might have some transport roles, some, you know, public health roles, etc. Whereas most people think, oh, that's the government. But where national politics, I think, starts to undermine, you know, itself through you know, these allegations around the SNP, uh, the bullying allegations against Dominic Raab, which we'll touch on in a second, and others, is that then has a knock-on effect to all politics. So even those, as you say, you know, you, you guys are working hard in, in, in local authorities, even though those, those local authorities are all got, you know, good governance and, you know, it's transparency and meetings, of, minutes are published online so people, you know, local people can see what's going on and it's very clear... Uh, details published about you know the the, the maths behind uh, council tax and all these sort of things it doesn't matter because if they feel that the national politicians are all in it for themselves that has a trickle down to all politics and that doesn't do any of us any good yeah no i agree i completely agree and it, i suppose it turns off potential voters who you know haven't been engaged before and stuff as well you know which, which yeah like you say is not good for any of us yeah well, exactly i mean and that's it it turns people off it, it, it makes people think politicians are in it for themselves why should I bother voting? They're all the same, etc. So it reinforces the very things that politicians are trying desperately to break away from. That behaviour at national level is, is dangerous for all of us. Well, I mean, talking of behaviour at a national level, I suppose that leads us into these bullying allegations that have been um, sent to Dominic Raab. So, I mean, just as a bit of a summary for listeners that I haven't been following this, so I think a number of civil servants have come out and submitted allegations of bullying against Dominic Raab, which has led to an inquiry taking place um, to look into look into it, basically, to see if he's he has been kind of bullying them and stuff. So we're recording this on Friday morning, so I think this might, you know, there might be an update by the time this well, episode comes ben, out. Ben, uh, just, but... just to interrupt you, we've got, a, we've a, literally hot off the press, as we're recording this, Rob has resigned. Oh my God, really? So, you know, oh, so, oh, you know, if people are listening to this probably about three days later, and we're breaking, you know, we're, we're delivering breaking news from the BBC and Sky and others, so it's not really us, we found out. Yeah. Yeah, um, uh, yeah so anyway, those, those details are emerging, and I'm sure we will get... Um, 
you know, more and more uh, information. And I'm sure he will be releasing statements, which neither of us have had time to read yet. But anyway, he's resigned. Well, I mean, to be honest, Stuart, it's interesting though, isn't it? So he's resigned, so I'm guessing... It, I mean, one of the things he did say, and he's been saying throughout this investigation is, if any kind of allegations of bullying were upheld, he would resign. So for me, I'm guessing that says that says that there's been... Yeah, I mean, it, it does seem to be that he has issued a statement that goes alongside, uh, you know, his resignation, so a letter. And according to that, and I'm just getting this from the BBC as we're speaking, Ben, so... Um, so uh, giving BBC full due, uh, you know, quotes. Yeah, yeah, it's not yeah. me. <laughs> so in his resignation letter, Raub says that he's duty bound to accept the outcome of the inquiry, but points out that the report by Adam Tolley uh, QC dismissed all but two of the claims levelled against uh, him. Um, so, uh, yeah, we haven't seen the report. I don't think the BBC has, but obviously, yeah, there's something in that report, at least on a couple of counts, which sort of, uh, you know, suggested he, that he was... Um, you know, it was guilty in some way, as yet. We don't really know what that is, but yeah. Well, I mean, we was going to touch on this anyway. We was going to look at, like, foresight on this, but, I mean, what does this mean now then for Rishi? Like, he's lost his deputy prime minister and his justice secretary, so where's, where's this leave Rishi? Because Dominic Raab was a big ally of Rishi, wasn't he? He was a big supporter of him. Um, and I suppose Rishi could do with as many allies in government at the minute as, as possible. So what where's that leave... Rishi's leadership, I suppose. Well, definitely weakened. Definitely weakened. Mm. And I think the questions now will be, look, does he put a new deputy prime minister uh, in place? Um, I'm not sure from that statement whether he's resigning just as justice secretary or deputy prime minister as well. I haven't quite got that yet, mm-hmm. but it could be effectively, you know, Rishi has two posts to replace. I think the opposition will certainly go on the fact that, you know, this is, so we're on, uh, we're recording this on, on Friday, the Prime Minister received the report on the Thursday uh, and it's not that the Prime Minister has made this announcement and taken action. It's Raab himself that has taken the action. So, again, what does that that gives the the, the, um, the opposition parties ammunition to say, look, you didn't even decide, Prime Minister. You know, he decided type thing. So what does that say about your leadership? What, about, what does that say about your ability to make decisions and so on? Mm. So so I think there's a you know, that opens up a couple of lines of attack, both for the opposition but also challenges for Rishi himself about how to respond to that. But who does he put in place now? Where does that think? Now, if we think about some of the moves in recent days where allegedly that he's, uh, and, and you know, if you could see this, if, if this was a, a video version, you know, speech marks, air speech marks, you know, toughened up the immigration bill. So that would sort of suggest that he's leaning more into that ERG right wing, mm. you know, sort of side of the party. So does he promote somebody from that wing or does he try and think, OK, I've given that part of the party something now. Maybe I have to lean more into the, the older, older sort of one nation sort of style yeah. of part. So that appointment is, you know, or those appointments, both in terms of minister and possibly deputy prime minister as well, are critically important, I think. So it could really change the dynamic of this current government then in terms of like, because, I mean, we, you know, we've been talking about culture wars, haven't we, for the past, like, few weeks and stuff on this podcast. Yeah, that'll be an ongoing but, theme, I think, won't it? Yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying, like, it, it could potentially change their approach and the, and the dynamic to this Conservative government. Yeah, it could do. Yeah, I mean, and I think it would give us some real uh, indications about what sort of approach we can expect for the rest of this government's time in office, which we've only got a year, 18 months, whatever, left until, you know, they have to have a general election. Um, 
may not be a changing government, maybe the effectively, you know, the same government that gets back in, but, you know, this last period of time. And I think it will also tell us about, um, what again, what sort of general election campaign we can expect uh, as well. So I think, the yeah, really important to look at these appointments. Yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose we'll just keep tabs on this as it develops then, Stuart, over the next few days. But um, I suppose the wider question it raises, though, Stuart, is that relationship, isn't it, between ministers and civil servants? So, like... That's been a bit of an ongoing debate, hasn't it, over the past few weeks? Um, I mean, like Sue Gray, for me, she she seems like she's been treated like awfully, really, because she's well, it's still not been confirmed, has it? But she's been she she's kind of took the leap over to Labour and stuff. So like all her kind of previous work that she's done for the government before and stuff has been kind of tarnished and and read by like senior ministers as a bit of a political game and like. I just wonder, like, what is going on in in the civil ser- service? Like, it, you know, it it seems bullying allegations from a minister that, that have been upheld by the sounds of it, it. It just seems a bit, a bit of a mess, really. And it does there need to be some sort of, I don't know, review into it? You know, it's like especially after this news. Yeah, I think. Look, I mean, you know that that relationship between politicians and civil servants at a, at a national level uh, has always been fraught. You know, new parties come in. And they always think into government and they always think that, you know, the civil service is there to block their reforms, etc., etc. I mean, that's sort of a, a, a bit of a trope that, you know, governments, politicians, political parties will use. The reality is that civil servants are there to, you know, balance, to advise and politicians make the decisions. That's 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 what happens. Um, if a politician comes up with a rubbish idea, then... The civil servants won't say, Minister, that's a rubbish idea, but they'll outline the pros and the cons and difficulties and the challenges, etc., etc., and then they can work through those, or not, if the idea is a really rubbish uh, uh, idea. Um, politicians are often under a lot of pressure. This will be Rab's, you know, part of Rab's uh, explanation, I would imagine, that he didn't think he was doing it, he was just being a demanding boss, etc., but look, frankly standards in the workplace are now different uh, thankfully than they were even five ten certainly more years ago the idea that you can go into any workplace and behave in that way is you know is now utterly unacceptable but civil servants generally have to put up with you know a lot from politicians but they also have to put up with this constant barrage from this government and previous governments as well from this government is not alone in sort of undermining them. Um, you know, it's a bureaucratic mess. We're going to cut tens of thousands of jobs. Uh, we don't know what they do. They just block us all the time. They're the, you know, they, they weren't the enemies of the people. So I'm slightly misparaphrasing, you know, the work of the judiciary around the, you know, Brexit time and things like that. But, but that, but that general thought that actually we don't know what they do. They're just bureaucratic. We get rid of them, etc. So that undermining and then the personal day-to-day interaction so I think yeah, something does something does have to change, and I think um, you know the civil service can't keep being the sort of the the, the 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 you know get knocked by politicians when it's governments, frankly, that are, are failing to deal with the issues that they want to deal with. It's not the, it's not the civil service fault that the ideas don't work. It's the politicians have got to come up with different ideas and work with others to come up with those ideas. Yeah, and I suppose it's like it's got to be a collaborative approach, hasn't it? Especially when it comes to like policy making, where like it's respectful and like I know they might have a political like idea that they want to take forward and stuff, but if civil servants are telling them that it won't work and stuff, 
I've got to kind of listen to that, I think, and, and take note. But it, that culture doesn't really seem to be there, Stuart, at the minute, I wouldn't say. But I, I think that's completely, completely wrong. wrong. No, I think, again, you know, Ben, you're right. I mean, it's, that's the perception, isn't it? The perception is that, you know, there is some, there's some fundamental wedge between the civil servants having to do the detail and work out the policies and, and, the, and the politicians. But the politicians have, you know, hyped that up through their own yeah. language and their and their own approach and and this you know again depending on what the the report from the kc uh, says um seems to say that you know not only have you got this sort of big picture you know discrepancy and, and differences of approach and and yeah but actually in the day-to-day working environment there's not that trust there there's there's, there's something fundamentally lacking now again not across all politicians um but you know will more allegations come out now i mean you know, there were already previous allegations about Preeti Patel, which, um, you know, Boris, uh, you know, Johnson, uh, you know, overlooked at the time and she didn't lose her job after various allegations, um, whereas Raab has uh, resigned. So, again, look, what does that say about the working relationship? And what does that have implications does that have for government operations going forward as well? Yeah, 100%. Could open a real can of worms, I suppose, that couldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean we'll just have to watch this space. But another sounds like another blow for government, really. Um and I mean I mean, we're gonna talk a bit about Rishi's stuff now, aren't we, with with his wife and stuff. So I mean I can give a brief brief kind of summary on that. So I think you might have seen in the news this week that Rishi Sunak faces a parliamentary probe after not mentioning his wife's shares in a childcare firm in, in his published list of financial interests. So another kind of conflict of interest row. Um, seems to be sorted now, Stuart. I don't know if I'm right in saying that, but um, but I mean, a conflict of interest, as we've been saying throughout this podcast, it's been a key issue over the past months, particularly with the row over MPs with second jobs and ministers with second jobs and stuff. And you might have seen the led by donkeys prank that happened a few weeks ago now. I don't think we got a chance to talk about it, Stuart, on a previous podcast, but I found that fascinating, really, that, um, you know, the basically, what if, if you didn't see it, MPs and senior ministers really they they got invited to basically be interviewed as a second job and the, the kind of pay payment that they were going to get from this like fake firm was extortionate wasn't it they were getting like day rates which was like stuff you could only dream of really um but then does does I mean does that is that another conflict of interest area you know it, it, some of these jobs could be really interfering with like policies that ministers are trying to take through and stuff like that so is that another area that really needs looking at in government would you say Stuart? I think yeah I mean you've highlighted a number of uh, issues there Ben I think the first one is around so Sunak's uh, you know alleged conflicts of interest so um, you know introduces a policy at the budget around um, uh, you know childcare uh, from which his wife because she has some I think shareholding in a childcare company through some VC vehicle etc uh, will benefit uh, and did was that properly declared now um you're right earlier this week the list of ministerial um uh sort of um you know connections was 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 released uh and that had the details um when he appeared in front of a parliamentary committee a couple of weeks ago he was asked directly whether he had any conflicts and he said no it's all properly declared now he's being investigated by the parliamentary authorities for whether that was entirely true now again look i mean 
bit of a bit of a minefield, uh, you know, for us to to try and you know tiptoe our way through. But that that's the fundamental. So you know, effectively, did Parliament have enough information when he appeared before them, as opposed to the ministerial? Um, you know, lists which were indeed published uh, earlier in this week. And the only reason they weren't published earlier was because there have been so many changes in government and politicians and, you know, ministers in recent you know months that, you know, they couldn't keep up to date with all the changes. So that that will come through. But again, that perception, misperception, quite possibly, that, you know, a senior politician, the prime minister in this sense, was making policy which benefited the family. Now, I'm not saying whether that was true or not, obviously, that that's why those declarations have to be made is so that the politicians are absolutely squeaky clean where it comes to that perception. So I think that's that's the first thing. And then you've got, you're right, this idea that, you know, politicians can have uh, other jobs, which they're perfectly entitled to do. They can have as, I'm not sure about as many jobs as they want, but, you know, certainly, uh, you know, they can have other jobs. Now, some of them write for magazines, some of them do lectures, so Boris's, you know, declared earnings were were massive after he leaves, uh, you know, um, office. You know, done you know lecture tours, etc., etc. Made a lot of money. Um, uh, the politicians that were sort of offered uh, big sack loads of cash by uh, led by donkeys, uh, posing as a, I think it was a Korean, um, you know, firm. Uh, Look again, you know, there were some to be seemed to be sort of some examples of that where they were agreeing, or one I think one particular politician was agreeing to do things that Parliament doesn't allow, i.e., lobbying, really. Uh, whereas all the others were saying, well, look, we'll give general advice, etc., etc. Now, you could make one argument to say, look, if some company is prepared to come along uh, and pay some politician, you know, huge sums of cash for giving them some general political advice, well, you know, wouldn't we all do that type thing? Uh, the other part would be, well, actually, aren't they meant to be working for us? They earn, you know, the best part of whatever it is, 80,000 a year. Therefore, that's pretty good. And for most people, you know, that's more than, you know, several years worth of money uh, and, and, and uh, you know, a lot even more for, for, you know, for some. Should they be allowed to do that? Well, look, Parliament's got some choices to make. You know, it can either stop second jobs, which is what... Um, you know, Labour has talked about doing in the past, but none of these things have actually really come to pass. And you sort of knock that potential conflict, you knock that, you know, idea that they've got other jobs and other priorities just completely out of the equation. Or you have an argument about, well, look, do they bring other skills? What's wrong with, pol- you know, politicians also being doctors and dentists and nurses and, you know, they bring other expertise and other skills and that helps policy making. So there, there are there are some, you know, discussions to be had but again, I think it adds to that general theme of look, what are they doing? Are they looking after themselves, or are they looking after? Uh, sorry, yeah, are they looking after? Sorry, are they looking after themselves, or are they looking after us? Um, mm, yeah. uh, and those sort of undercover things sort of suggest that you know, to most people, that they're not playing the game. They're not. They're not being politicians for the country. They're being, you know, effective money making machines for themselves and their, their you know, their families, etc. For for me though, Stuart, this comes at a time though when I feel like national politics is bit is in the gutter a bit. So like the, the second jobs debate does come, and I, I feel a bit like focus your first your first job at the end of the day. You've been elected by you know residents across across the country and stuff to represent them in Parliament and make sure that their interests are, are really kind of like represented they've got a voice kind of thing that you know and, and everything that they want to see improving their local community and stuff like that does get better 
So, like, the fact that, like, we're in a time at the minute where it's a cost of living crisis, like, they should be working, like, day in, day out to make sure that, like, policies are brought forward to support people. And I'm guessing they'd argue that is happening kind of thing. But you see it on the street day to day and stuff. Like, it's not, you know, we're all worse off at the minute and stuff like that. So, for me, focus on your first job. Like, the second job, for me, I, I mean, for me, I, I don't agree with second jobs in all honesty. I think second jobs should be scrapped. I think you, your first main job is delivering for, for your residents and delivering for those who elected you and stuff. And then, yeah, I, 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 that's where I stand on it, Stuart. I don't know. I think a lot of people will be in exactly the same position. I think they just struggle to see, you know, most people, you know, one job is enough. That takes up nine to five evenings, some weekends, you know, we're all pushed to be more productive. Uh, you know, there aren't enough hours in the day, you know, so th- those challenges are, are real. Uh, and especially when politicians go out and say, well, look, if you can't afford to live, go out and get more work. You know, effectively, if you haven't got enough money, just get more work. And actually, for most people, they're already working hard enough in the one job that they do have. The idea that they can go out and get second, third and fourth jobs is just absolute you know, pie in the sky, because frankly, they do want to have a life and they do want to see their, you know, families and, you know, have a bit of a social life, etc. Yeah. You know, that that's not, uh, you know, un, uh, you know, that's not something that, that should, they should be prevented from doing. So you're right, most people will be, feel exactly the same as you, Ben. I mean, trouble is, it's up to Parliament to decide. Yeah, 100%. And so that is the proverbial Turkey's voting for Christmas. So yeah. are you going to say to... You know, is Parliament going to say, yes, we've looked at this and actually, you know, and I think that's why on those sorts of issues, you need a new government in of whatever party, I hasten to add, uh, to come in and say, right, actually, this is the way that we're going to do this. Because I think it's only at the beginning of a Parliament and with a new you know, broom, a new approach, that those sorts of things can happen. Because the more that a Parliament goes on, the less of a priority it seems and action isn't taken. So if that's the policy they want to do then I think it has to be done early when a new government comes in. Yeah. I mean, I suppose the other point, Stuart, as well, is if you did restrict it to MPs just having one job, will that put off a potential raft of people kind of coming forward to get involved in politics and put themselves forward? So where you're losing that kind of talent pool as well of, like, uh, you know, potential good MPs kind of coming through as well. So, like, there's that side. And I've heard an argument as well, Stuart, that, like, some, some MPs once they've had a career in politics, do find it difficult to find jobs, um, you know, once they've kind of stepped down as an MP, because I think it's probably because, like, they've been so political, they've heard the view so publicly, like, they've stood for things that perhaps, like, some employers might not agree with and stuff like that. So, yeah, so, like, some people do find it difficult. So I suppose having that second job, at least they've got something to kind of come out of politics into if that makes sense and yeah they can fall back of... on it yeah yeah, yeah, no, yeah. No, I, I, and and you're right I, I, there 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 is that i mean that that is the reality you know especially you know in a in an era of you know if there's a mass clear out so let, let's say for instance that labor do win the next election you could well imagine there was an awful lot of ex-tory mps then trying to find work afterwards now they all have some very valuable skills but sometimes being too closely associated with a political party, especially one that is now out of power, may not be hugely attractive to a range of uh, potential employers. There's also the fact that it would be a crowded marketplace. So there would be an, an awful lot of ex-Tory 
MPs all looking for jobs at the same time. Yeah. It's it's really hard. It is really hard. Um, uh, but again, you know, that's the same, I think, for anybody looking for a job, isn't it? I mean, you know, it, it's, you know, sometimes you, you, you know, you leave one role um, and you don't walk straight into another. That's yeah, just the reality sure. of life. So again, what, you know, my argument, and I think the argument of many would be, well, why should politicians, ex, then ex-politicians, yeah. be any different from the rest of the population who can struggle to find that next job? Tough. Yeah. It's the, it's the, that's the reality. Yeah, very true, yeah, 100%. I, th- I think, Stuart, could probably leave it there because otherwise we could talk about that all day. We could be now we'll go and uh, read about uh, Dominic Raab's resignation letter. That's the most important yeah, thing for the rest of our day, Ben, I think. That's why we're wrapping it off early, isn't it? We could get away today and read a bit more about that. But, um, yeah, so, I, I mean, I think that brings this, this week's episode to an end. And, Stuart, thanks for joining me again to talk about no, some of the issues. You, it was great having some breaking news live on the podcast, wasn't it, this week? So, so yeah, we'll be back again in a couple of weeks. Um, and, yeah, thanks again for joining us. Bye.